Hello and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast of helping and equipping parents as well as children's ministry workers to disciple the children in their area of influence. As always, we are hosted by myself, Pastor Tony Tristoni, the family pastor at Westminster Baptist Church in Westminster, Maryland, as well as Ben Palaz, the family and children discipleship pastor at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia. And this episode is the second part of a two-part interview. We will be picking off where we left off last week, an interview with David and Sally Michael from Children Desiring God. We hope that you listen in and are blessed. Related to teaching children and saturating them with God's Word, how do we teach children hermeneutics? And maybe it would be helpful for some of our audience to define it. Maybe thinking, Herman who? What? <laughs> so, Good man there, hermeneutics. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh. I think the first thing we need to do is to lead them beyond just the stories of the Bible to the actual text of the Bible. So even when we tell Bible stories to children, sometimes we will actually read a verse or two, even for little tiny children, even preschool children, at least a verse or two. But I think what we start to do is you just do it little by little. You start to ask them to observe things in the text. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it can be very simple, something like, well, no one can serve two masters. The first, one of those simple preschool verses. What is a master? Okay? So they have to understand that. So who can serve two masters? Well, they have to observe the text. Oh, no one. Okay, that means no, not your mother, not your father. No one. So it's basically teaching them to observe things in the text, answer questions from the text. Um, I, when you ask a question, you ask them Okay, look at your Bible when you answer this question. What does the Bible say? So you're constantly pointing them to the Word. I, I remember when my younger daughter, Christy, was five years old, and I was going through some Bible stories with her. Um, I was con- constantly stopping and asking questions. And and she got frustrated one day. She's, oh, your questions are so hard. And I said, well, Christy, the reason I'm asking you these questions is because I want you to learn to think. Mm. I want you to think about what you're reading and think about what it means in your life and what it says about God. And and you need to learn to think. By the end of that year, and she was not more than five. She could have been four. She was asking me questions that I could not answer. And and that was really exciting for me. But I, I think the challenge is to impress on the next generation the discipline of Bible study because so often we just read the Bible and then we close the Bible and we go on with our life. But we don't really think about it. We don't interact with it. So you want careful observation of the text, thoughtful, objective interpretation. And children can interpret the text and appropriate application of the text. So basically you're teaching them the inductive Bible study skills yeah. and you start in preschool. You do. You start with observation. You start with just asking questions. What 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 word do you hear repeated over and over in this Bible verse? Yeah. You know, or in this passage. You know, simple Bible study skills. They don't even know that they're learning them. Yeah. But you know that they're learning because you're intentionally teaching them. Yeah. You know, to piggyback, and I think that is so clearly related to to beyond even children's programs in the church, the, the family worship, you know, that kind of thing. Asking those questions like that in family worship. Mm-hmm. Like, and you know, Tony, just, it's not, this is not just a church issue. This is a cultural issue. I was just reading, uh, Wall Street Journal had an article several weeks ago now of a study that they did of university freshmen. It was a four-year study, and uh, they 
they measured these children in private university, Ivy League universities, and public universities, and um, measured these students on their critical thinking skills, mm-hmm. and and then remeasured them at their senior year, and and their skills either remained flat or diminished over four years of college. And employers are saying now, give us people who can think, who can make decisions, because just culturally, we're, we're not thinking. And so to bring this into the church, or you've got the Bible, which in and of itself is a whole cultural experience, is trying to come to terms with the Bible in its cultural context and all of that, but then having to think about it is is really now such a culture countercultural experience for these kids yeah. that is the direction I think we're going in instructing our children is that the Bible is becoming not only countercultural um, but it's our children are growing up in a culture that's becoming increasingly hostile yeah. to what that Bible teaches which is all the more urgency we feel about getting beneath our kids a foundation um, on which they can stand because Jesus promised you're, you're going to be hated for believing yeah. what I'm teaching. You're going to be hated for following me. Some of you they will put to death. Yeah. Are we raising a generation of kids who will go to the, the execution, their own execution, for the sake of this truth that we're giving them. And it's just, if we're just teaching them to share, it's not going to cut it no. in a hostile culture. So. Yeah, that's, I've, um, I've mentioned this on a previous episode. I read most of a book, uh, J.I. Packer and Gary Parrott, called Grounded in the Gospel. A great book. And he, they quote someone else. I can't remember his name, but he said, you know, after all the millions of dollars that we spend on youth ministers and recording and concerts and publishing all this, we have a generation of kids who, uh, of teenagers, who all they know is how they should feel about mm-hmm. the faith. They don't really know much right. about it. Mm-hmm. And so, like you're saying, these challenges that, whether it's persecution, um, execution, or just the the, persecu- the the sufferings that we all face, that's not going to, to help us to stand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. In, in John MacArthur's book, The Truth War, he talks about um, this whole thing of uh, how do you feel about this? Or what does this text mean to you? Well, who cares what it means to you? Mm-hmm. What What is the God-given meaning of the text? And he says, well, what did it mean before you existed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and and, and this, that's what we have to teach, the ch- teach children is it, it doesn't matter what you think it says. What is, I mean, do you have the skills to determine what God is saying in his word? Mm-hmm. That's good, yeah. I, you know, the attitude of what do I feel about it so much comes from a children's ministry, I think, too. You know, I, I've been part of many Bible studies where the question is first, oh, what do you think? Yeah, that what's your, that, uh, and not what it says, but how does it make you feel? And, and I think that is only an amplified version of how almost every children's program goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we and we tend to avoid those texts that don't make us feel good. So, think we we want to only feel good about God. So let's not talk about His wrath. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. And let's not talk about um, suffering, <laughs> suffering, and all those things. So that's not going to make me feel good. And so we avoid, and that's where where Psalm seventy eight is so helpful to us because this resolve we're not going to hide these truths, this testimony from our children. Yeah. We're going to give them the full counsel of God, whether it feels good or not. 
Yeah. Which in Psalm 70, beyond the, those first eight verses, is pretty depressing as it goes oh, over exactly. Israel's failures. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, so wonderful. Why is it important, then, to teach children to memorize the Bible? Well, so a couple things come to mind. Number one, what I mentioned earlier was just this idea of having the Bible influence um, the way you're thinking and the decisions that you're making. If the Bible is memorized, it has a, it, it enables you to meditate on it. I mean, I just find this still very helpful for me that I see the text in fresh ways. I see, um, I gain new insights to the text when I'm having to commit it to memory and I've got something and one of the things I love to do is fall asleep with the Bible in my head and I go to sleep try to go to sleep with God's Word in my mm -hmm. head and to wake up and it it helps me to meditate um, the other thing is the memorized word does have a power on me to conform me to the likeness of Christ mm -hmm. so um, so just um, who do I have in heaven but you earth has nothing I desire besides you my mm -hmm. flesh and my heart may fail but you are the strength of my life and my portion forever and in this world that's continually trying to lure my affections away from God toward other things you just say um, nothing I desire um, besides you Lord just having that in my head helps me resist this gravitational pull that I feel in this world that's calling me to treasure other things besides Christ. Mm -hmm. And so the memorized word has that sanctifying effect, I think, that influences the mind of our children, too. Yeah. I'm just getting them memorizing thir certain things that will point them in the direction that we want them to go can really be a strategic um, way for parents to be able to influence the behavior of their children. Yeah. I think another thing that I've noticed is that it gives them a language for prayer. I mean, usually mm -hmm. when you hear children pray, thank you for the nice day, thank you. You know, I mean, it's they're, they're so rote. And yet if they have memorized the word, they have a language for prayer, they have thoughts for prayer, they have the truth of God to inform the way they should pray. I, I was I was sitting in a sixth grade class and the worship leader led a song, which I can't remember which one it was, but it was something about the goodness of God. And so he said after he, he sang, they, they sang the song, he said, um, let's just pray and, and tell God how good he is. And let's just say, Lord, you are so good because. And let's, let's, let's just tell him why he's so good. And so I, I'm sitting there, and this is a class of sixth grade kids, and I'm hearing, Lord, you are so good because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, you are so good because, I, I, I mean, everyone was scripture after scripture after scripture, awesome. because all things work together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, you are so good because... I mean, over and over and over, it was a Bible verse, a Bible verse, a Bible mm -hmm. verse. And so these were these were not simple childish prayers these were god thought out prayers i mean they were they were powerful prayers that these kids were pre, pre, were um um 
we're, we're, we're praying. And, and, and I just think it's, it, it, you know, if you read the Puritan, like, I, I love Valley of Vision. You read the Puritan prayers. It. You can tell these men were soaked in the word, and that's why their prayers were so powerful. And, and I think the memorized word does that for children. I, mean, I know when I pray for people, just to, just to think of a verse, you know, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. May you always be strong and not shaken because you are trusting in the Lord. I mean, all of a sudden, you have powerful prayers because you have the word memorized. Mm-hmm. You know, just uh, my mind's going a couple different directions here, but um, just... This is one of the secrets we think for motivating children to memorize is if if you challenge a child to memorize and say, okay, you're going to get a check mark if you can memorize this verse. That's motivating. I remember one time when our kids were small, um, Sally developed this pretty elaborate incentive system whether they get doll clothes and candy or whatever to memorize. And our, our girls were not interested what motivates our what we found motivates children more than those incentives is to be able to use that verse in some significant way so when a child doesn't not only can memorize it but actually use it to pray yeah that motivates or or we might ask a child okay so and so is sick what verse do you know that would encourage them right now and see the power of the word and its ability to encourage another person is very motivating. Um, it's, so one of my roles, one of the things I get to do once in a while in a corporate worship setting is pray corporately as a pastor for the church. And I get lots of compliments on my prayers. And I feel funny mm-hmm. even saying uh, thank you for the compliment because <laughs> all I do is pray Bible. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, it's it's praying the word of God and and our hearts, the heart of a believer, is wired to respond to God's word. And so people notice something unique when I pray, and all I'm praying is the word of God, mm-hmm. which reminds me of a story years ago on staff at Bethlehem, John Piper and the rest of the staff were going off on our staff retreat, and we said, uh, let's stop off at the hospital and pray for this saint who... Um, somebody from our church who was in the hospital let's just go encourage her so about 10 pastors walk into the uh walk up onto the floor and the room was small so some of us had to sit out john goes in and along with a few other pastors and he's praying i mean john taught me how to pray this way and um and as they were in there one of the nurses came out and said to her colleague sounds like God's praying in there. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. And the reason it sounds like God praying is because he's praying God's word, and of course it's going to sound like God. And so even for a a person who was not used to that kind of environment, she she heard God in that prayer. And so that's what we want for our kids. Amen, that's awesome. You know, I want to say before you ask ask the next question, uh, Ben, you know, uh, we've been so blessed in our family even by the fighter and foundation verses. And it's funny uh, that I, I'll admit that as I'm working through with my young children to learn some of those fighter and foundation verses, I've probably lear- memorized uh, more verses than I had ever memorized before <laughs> while I'm teaching them in family <laughs> worship. Yeah. Praise God for that. 
So yes, it's a good, and the the app is, is very useful. It is very uh, helpful. Uh, ben, real quick. Uh, well, to to piggyback on that discussion of scripture mem- memorization, sort of taking it the next step into meditation. Um, how is that beneficial to the lives of our children? So not just being able to rote repeat it, um, but but letting it mull over in their mind. I, I think a way to start is to talk about why meditation is important to any of us, not just children. And in his book, Teach Them Diligently, Lou Priolo um, paraphrases a Puritan pastor whose name is Oliver Haywood, and he talks about lack of meditation being the primary reason that so many people who profess to be Christians Although they have excellent teaching, they are still unstable and unfruitful. They learn, but they never come to the knowledge of the truth. And what he says is that instruction flows up from all sides, but their hearts and minds are like sieves. So everything runs in as uh, fast as it's poured out. And so the impressions that the word makes on their mind is very temporary. But here's what he says, and I think it's really key. Meditation imprints truth deeply on the conscience and engraves it on the tablets of the inner man. And then he says, meditation is our truths which we, which we received, but have not yet assimilated into our character. Meditation is a means the Spirit of God effectively uses to permanently, I love this word, amalgamate into your, our character that truth which previously we may have only received intellectually or superficially. So it's truth that hasn't been digested and become part of our makeup. And, and I think that's really true. Meditation does do that. I remember one time reading in James um, where it says, um, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. And I mean, I'm reading these wonderful adjectives, you know. I think, oh, that's really great. Close my Bible, go off. And, I, and then I said, what did you just read? And what does it mean in your life? And I had to go back and I had to memorize that. I literally had to write that verse down, memorize it, and then start thinking, okay, when I am sitting in a staff meeting, what is what is wisdom that is pure look like? How will I respond? What will I, to other people's suggestions? How will I frame my questions or my concerns or my ideas? I mean, I just had to go through every adjective in there. But I, And then for a month, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in that, a staff meeting, I'm going to is a ladies meeting I'm meeting with a friend and it, over in my my mind is the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable um, gentle open to reason I mean it's just becoming part of me and that's how the word transforms us I think um, the Holy Spirit doesn't work in a vacuum he works through his word and if that word is memorized we can actually meditate on it and um, it it, and it, it, it it just helps us um, understand and word better. I remember when our daughter Christy was a preschooler and she was learning in Sunday school, what you learn in Sunday school when you're a preschooler, which is God made the flowers and the trees and the birds and the bees and God made everything. And so I was, the girls were in the car, I'm backing out of the driveway and Christy looks at the house across the street and she said, God made the house. And Amy being five and older and wiser said, no, he didn't. A man made that house. And they kind of discussed that for a while. And finally I said, you know what? You're both right. A man did um, take a hammer and nails and some boards and he pounded them together and he made a house. But who gave the man the tree to make the house? And who gave him um, the tree to make the wood? And who gave him the hand 
Now, that is not the work of man. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And when that word is accessible on them, or it's in their minds, it's the hum in the back of their, when they're doing things, he is constantly working through that word to impress it on the heart and to give it reality, I mean, to show the reality of it in real life. Mm. But, you know, we, we live in a, in, in a culture that does not encourage us to meditate on anything. It, yeah. it encourages soundbite, soundbites and, and activity, and, and, it, and there's nothing that encourages us to sit and think and meditate and, and, and let it sink into ourselves. <coughs> and so we have to be intentional about that, and we have to be intentional in helping children to do that. That's good. That's good. Uh, so the next question, uh, you know, I really would appreciate you guys to answer with some great sound bites in the next question. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> something we can tweet. Exactly. Something go. we can go. just tweet, yeah, because the most meaningful statements are things you can tweet, <laughs> of course. No. Uh, how can we teach our children the Bible with God at the center? Because as you've pointed out a lot throughout our discussion, I mean, there's a lot of ways that teaching children the Bible that make man absolutely at the center i think the example of the of the child that offered up his bread is the pinnacle example of that right yeah and so it really is the you know it's the way you think about both the bible so one of the things we we say here's here's a sound bite for you <laughs> god is the main character of every story in the bible amen and and so um you never have to ask the question, who's, who's the main character of this story? It's always God. And so the point of every story in the Bible is to point us to God, to discover God in how, in how, as how he reveals himself in his word. So you look at Bible stories, even in the table of contents, you can kind of get a feel for where they're going. Like Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. Did Joseph really interpret the dream? Well, you could say that, but who ultimately interpreted that dream? Or mm. Miriam watches over her baby brother in the Nile. Really? Really? <laughs> Moses was protected because her little sis his big sister was watching over him? No. <laughs> yeah. Moses parts the Red Sea. Joshua fights the battle of Jericho. Mm. David kills the giant. Peter and John heal the lame man. And you get a feel for kind of where, how we're telling Bible stories that, you know, they're well-meaning, but they're hiding the truth of God's word. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. I, I interacted with a curriculum that taught the story of uh, the, the Good Samaritan, which I think so much points to Jesus and, it, and so much points to our need for a Savior that's beyond us. Uh, and, they, and the way that they really pushed the lesson home was they had all the children saying, I am the good neighbor, I am the good neighbor, yes I am. <laughs> <laughs> the part of the passage yeah, is actually, no you're not. So. Yeah, because we're always we're often using the Bible to teach moral story morals to our children. Yeah, rather than pointing to God, and so it's so that therefore it has to be about the good things that or the courage of David or whatever. Um, I think you've probably heard us talk about the story of Esther, um, and you know they 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 just 
capital wave Esther was that she went in and she pled with the king for the lives of her people. And because this king listened to this beautiful, brave queen, the Jews were kept from destruction. But when you teach the story that way, you are concealing the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord mm -hmm. from our children. Because the story of Esther is not about a brave queen. Yeah. It's about a great God. Amen. And because God placed Esther in that position in the king's court. And God gave her favor with the king. And God turned the king's heart towards the Jews so that he didn't want to destroy them. But he, hap he happened to work through Esther. But even the text says deliverance could have come from another quarter. I mean, even that text points that God was the deliverer, even though he's not even mentioned in the book of Esther. But when you replace the story of God's faithfulness to his people in Persia for the story of a brave queen, a beautiful queen... You're robbing God of his glory and, and his rightful place, and you're exchanging it for the praise of yeah, men. That's good. You know, when, when we talk about this in our um, conferences, it's really interesting because the, the, the whole point of telling the story this way is to draw out of our children and their adults what they were created for namely God's worship. Yeah. And just that little illustration that Sally gave about Esther, when you're talking about Esther being brave and courageous and beautiful and everything else and totally missing God, there's, your, your heart, I mean, the, the story falls flat on your heart. Yeah. But just when she was talking about God was the one who placed Esther in a strategic position. God was the one who gave Esther favor with the king. God was the one who turned that king's yeah. heart toward us. We, we see rising up in the adults, even as they're listening to us, just show the difference. <clears throat> this heart that just wants to break out and saying, praise mm -hmm. God for whom all blessings flow. And that's, that's what we're after when we're telling stories to our children is we, we want to ignite worship when they hear it. And there's a way to tell a story, that a Bible story, that draws that heart to God in worship. And there's uh, another way to tell it that draws it away from God and puts it on other things besides him. No, I, th those are really helpful uh, points, and and it's not that I, I just hearing you talk beforehand that you did not that that the Bible does instruct us, um, and that there is a kind of life that that flows out of knowing this God and being changed by Him and what He's done in His Son. Like Sally, you were talking about meditating on that passage from James and, and thinking through the implications of of how it would look in your life in these circumstances. Um, and so uh, it's it's a both and, but but often we cut the God part off and just you know make a straight line to the the morals. Right. So why do children need a systematic theology from the Bible? A kind of an overarching. This is what the Bible says about this and about that. Well, I think um, so. One of the challenges here is okay. We want we want them to become familiar with the Bible and all that it teaches and all of its counsel. And and part of that is to give them also the doctrinal foundations of the um, of what the Bible teaches. So this when we talk about having a firm place to stand when 
the testing comes. Um, what we're talking about is getting beneath them doctrinal foundations. And Sally, why don't you just jump in here because um, I think that would be helpful for you to. Uh, sure, I, I'll be glad to. Um, I think if you have weak doctrine, you produce weak faith. Um, and so that's why you've got to teach sound doctrine. I think if you don't have a theology of suffering, when suffering comes, you're shaking your fist at God or you're, you're totally perplexed because you have no theology of suffering. And I think systematic theology helps children make sense of the biblical narratives. For example, if a child doesn't understand the holiness of God or the justice of God um, or his wrath towards sin, the narrative in the garden makes absolutely no sense to them because they would have no categories to understand why God punished Adam and Eve so severely just because they ate a piece of fruit. I mean, seriously? But without that framework of the holiness of God and the offense of sin, um, they, they, they just can't make sense of some of what's in the Bible. Um, so I think they need to see the interrelationships of the doctrines of the Bible so they can draw correct conclusions. Um, and, and sometimes you say, well, can children really understand these things? And, and they can. And a story that I, I tell is when my oldest granddaughter, Anna, was five years old, her family was living in St. John's, Newfoundland, where her dad was a pastor at the time. And I had made a jumper for her. I needed two maroon buttons. And so we went to the only fabric store in St. John's, Newfoundland. And it was five o'clock in the evening. It was our, And so... We went and ran, and her mother needed another errand to run. So Anna and I were waiting in the car, and Anna said to me, Grandma, was it a good thing that the fabric store was closed? And I said, no, Anna, that it wasn't a good thing, because now we have to come back tomorrow to get the buttons for your jumper. Well, that was really a bad answer. <laughs> I kind of think it was a good thing that the store was closed because God made the store to be closed and everything God does is good and right. Now, a theology gave her an understanding of life because her answer reflected two eternal truths. God is sovereign over all things, including the closing times of stores. That's a big theological thought for a child. To be able to put that together God is sovereign over everything, and guess what? That store closed at that time because that's what God wanted. And secondly, that everything that comes from God is good and right, including inconvenient circumstances. I mean, you can imagine the heart of a child who understands those kind of theological truths, how they're going to interpret life. They're going to interpret it from a God perspective, understanding that God is at work in his world, and they're going to be able to put the pieces of their lives into a correct narrative and a correct framework and, um, you know, it, our, our, our younger daughter, Christy, is 33 years old. And for someone her age, she has had an inordinate amount of trials and sufferings. None of them, things that she brought on by bad decisions she did, it's just, I don't know what it is about her. It's just, mm-hmm. they just kind of come her way. And so, just recently, she's a, she's a, uh, um, a certified nurse midwife, okay? okay. And she tore something in her hip, which has given her tremendous back pain. And it's been like two and a half months that she's been in extreme, extreme pain. And this is the, you know, the, the, the long line of sufferings. This is just one more that she's had. And so I, I said to her, I said, Christy, is there any part of you that says, you know, God, I think I've kind of had enough. <laughs> I mean, this is, why me? I mean, I've had so much in my life. 
and, and I said, is there any part of you that is questioning God's goodness and she, or, or why this is happening to you? And she said, no, Mom. She said, I know that God is sovereign over all things. And he has a purpose for That's this. Awesome. And I just need to trust him. It comes from her being a child and understanding the sovereignty of God so well that she can put her life in that framework. And, and, and what will God? She has a theological framework in which to put those circumstances of her life. And, and, and I think if you don't know correct doctrine, you are going to be you are going to be deceived. You're going to be tossed about like the waves in the sea. Every wind of whim of doctrine is going to come your way, and you're not going to have a ground to stand on no. because you don't know the doctrines of the Bible. You don't know what is true about God. You don't know what is true about man. You don't know what is true about God's purposes. I just think it's critical that children have a good theology. That's good. You know, it's funny, as you were telling that story, Sal, I was reminded of when that same 33-year-old was in school somewhere along the way, and she was being corrected in the midst of being corrected and sent to her room, and her older sister was pretty upset at mom and dad for being so tough on... Okay, so she was preschool, I guess. I just remember the line. So um, she's in there. She's upset. Amy's upset because she's she's going through this struggle. Because mom is being so mean to her sister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why she was upset. And I don't remember exactly what she said, so why don't you tell me, Sally? Okay, so Christy, hearing Amy being so upset opened the door and I'm kidding you she was a preschooler and she said to Amy Amy mommy knows I need this mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, mommy loves me this is good for me yeah <laughs> mommy knows that. I need this and, and I, I was shocked <laughs> but understanding how suffering can be for your good the foundations of what she's experienced now as adult was laid at those earlier formative years where she's got this concept how a person can be loving and good and benevolent and still bring pain and suffering into your life that's right her words were mommy loves me this is good no this is good for me mommy loves me um i need this you're not understanding your sin nature too yeah i mean this is a great understanding praise the lord that's awesome Wonderful. Yeah, that is so immensely important. Uh, The last question we want to ask, and we've so appreciated all of your answers. It's been so helpful for us, I know. Uh, But how can people learn more about uh, your work for the Lord through Children Desiring God? And uh, what's the new name again? I'm sorry. It's uh, going to be Truth78. And so I think if you Google that, I'm not sure if you're going to find anything, but... uh, ChildrenDesiringGod.org is our website. That will take you to um, all of our resources that we have and various samples and um, and a lot of all of our conferences that we've done. The at least the main sessions and many of the seminars are available to, to listen to and capture a lot of the things that we've been talking about today. Well, David and Sally, thank you so much for your time. Um, I know I've benefited a lot from this conversation. It's got my wheels turning and thinking in my own home, uh, but also how can I encourage the, the parents here at our church. But so, And thank you, too, just your ministry where you are and a long history of faithfulness and how you're serving the wider church. Um, now, we do have a special 
offer, I guess, today, would review this on social media uh, or pass this along with a hashtag uh, TFMCDG. That's like Theological Family Ministry Podcast, Children Desiring God. There's two resources um, that we have available. All right, so be out there, and then these are uh, excellent resources that, that you can make use of in your own family, your own church. And so, yeah, and, and just this this will help get the word out to, to continue this conversation in other churches and other families um, so that we can raise up a, a generation of children who know and love the Lord. Uh, so thanks for listening to this episode, and we hope to have you back next time.